All right, so we, we are. are uh, we took back. a little intermission. Now that we're back, got I'm, a little, I'm a little less lightheaded. Yeah, needed a little, need a little sustenance. A little sustenance. I was, I was on a struggle bus right there. Yeah, I only had a bagel and a, uh, a yogurt this morning. So when I was smoking that first cigar, I was like a little spacey for a couple. Minutes. Yeah, I needed. We were supposed to get lunch, but then we decided we got caught up setting up the. Yeah, one and, thing led uh, to another. But now we got some new, we got some new cigars. Yeah. Okay. We're we in. lit up the second cigar, and. Um, I'm smoking the, uh, this is the Timeless Prestige Lancero that you have. And what is this, like a six by? Six and a quarter by 38. By 38. Okay. So it's a, a little bit smaller than a typical Lancero, which is like seven inches, right? There's really two schools of Lanceros. Classically with Cuba, Laguito number one, Laguito number two. Laguito number one is that closer to seven, seven and change. Yep. Laguito number two, six, six and a half. Okay. And I'm really enjoying And always this. 38 ring gauge. Always 38. Yeah, because sometimes people throw in yeah. like a 40 and a 42. And I say, you know, that's more of a Lonsdale. It's not really a Lancero. Lancero is the long and skinny ones. Uh, but it brings up a question that I had because I was asking you after I smoked the, the first cigar you gave us, um, which was the Suma. And I asked you, what cigar should I smoke next? And the answer you gave me was that you can really smoke any of your blends. And I... I find it very interesting because typically there's, you know, an order to smoke cigars and some cigar manufacturers will have you, you start with the mild, then you can move up to the medium, then you can move up to the full, which typically is how you how you would 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 um, smoke your cigars in that order. But you had mentioned that you can smoke any of your cigars in any order. Yeah, I think the the idea is you want to you want to still be able to appreciate nuance of flavor. And so to do that, it really comes down to me. It's less important about flavor and more important to recognize body. And if you look across the timeless collection and certainly across the Ferriotego blends, they all share a full body with very different flavors. So even though we just had the Suma quite full in body, mm. but focusing on a lot of that, more Nicaragua flavor, the chocolate, coffee, espresso, leather, mm -hmm. to go in another direction, as long as the body stands up, then then you you should still be able to taste it. So you're having the Prestige um, Especiales that's got that great mouth-filling body with flavors that are certainly different from Suma, and so it's still able to stand up and, and detect nuance. You're having the Elegancia, so am I. The Elegancia we talked about in the first part of the discussion, it, it looks quite mellow, but mm. has a lot of Nicaragua and Dominican filler. So yeah. the body is big, the flavors are different. And so it still, it still presents an opportunity to layer new flavor, new nuance and new experience on top of Suma. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in not necessarily going from mildest to strongest, but as long as you're diversifying flavor and experience and the body um, stands up to the body of the last cigar you had, then you can go in any direction you want. Yeah, because the, 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 the Suma that we had, and like you had mentioned, the fudge, I was getting a lot of that, that dark chocolate, that leather, a little bit of spice towards the end of it. I was definitely picking up the spice. I mean, as the smoke was getting a little bit hotter. Um, but with this one, the first thing I got right off the, the rip was sweetness. Yeah. Sweetness and... and not uh, artificial sweetness, not no, sugar sweetness. right. Right, just a, a hint of, of sweetness, and I got some, some like, you had said bread, and then when, as soon as you said bread, I said, yeah, I get toast. Yeah. It's almost like I'm you know, a piece of toast for breakfast. That's Those are the two things that I pick up instantly 
on this cigar. And to go off of your point is I don't feel like the, the, the weight of the smoke in my mouth is any different than the Suma, which is where that body is, right? Some people confuse, this is another topic, but some people confuse body and strength, right? Body and strength are, are two completely different things. To me, strength, strength is not something I try to achieve in a blend. Because strength, to me, speaks to nicotine and right. it speaks to the way it affects the way you feel. Right. And I, I don't want you to feel my cigars in your stomach, in your head, or in your heart rate. You know what I mean? Right. I want you to right. feel our cigars in your soul. Right. Um, so we really don't make ass kickers at all. You know, there's lots of them out there and you can go find one. They do them better than we would ever do them anyway. We really lead with flavor. And lead with body. Mm. And body is not strength. Body is mouthfeel. And body is more specifically the weight of the smoke yes. on your palate. Yes. And you can – body is something you can see. So like I see you take a puff and the, the smoke mm. is so yeah. voluminous. That's body, you know? Yeah, and, and, and I, I can see that both of them have the same. And I like that. I like a cigar that's got a, a full body. I like the weight of the smoke in my mouth, okay? I, I I have smoked some cigars that have lighter body, you know, especially, you know, if it's like an early morning on the golf course or something, and I'll, you know, smoke something a little bit lighter, right? You're not, you don't have all of that food in your system, right? Which is another uh, tip for those that are newer cigar smokers is make sure you have food in your system, okay? Because if you smoke something that might have a little bit of nicotine content, you're definitely going to feel a little woozy. Uh, but I do typically enjoy the ones that have that, heavier body like your like the ferio tego does it's the best part of the cigar in my opinion yeah if you don't have a nice cloud full of smoke everybody loves a good body you know what i'm saying I mean, come on. I mean, voluminous <laughs> voluptuous that's a great that's a college word right that's a that's a 50 voluminous cent word is a we great call. word <laughs> a nice easy draw with voluminous so smoke. one of the, the the questions that i wanted to ask you was the fashion okay and this is a totally different topic than cigars but Clearly, you're into fashion. Okay, yep. were you always the kind of guys like, hey, I always love to, you know, I like to wear a suit. I like to, you know, wear the pocket square. I like to wear the accessories. Or did that kind of just come with, with age? It kind of. It's funny because I would, I would certainly not consider myself a fashion guy when I, like, as a as a young man. Um, but like when you go back and look at pictures of me as a kid, I always had like outfits and they were random i mean like some days i would go to school and i would wear it was like third grade and i would wear you know khaki pants uh, a blue and white shirt a blazer and a tie and it was not school picture day but then like the next day i would be in all denim <laughs> or very you know I, I don't know but i actually think it has to i think it was like it was all it was almost like a costume it, like what what mood what character was I in the mood to play that day and what was the costume that was gonna mm. make me feel you know yeah what's what certainly as a jazz guy there's a certain look to right. playing jazz yes and because I was going to school and gigging and working I would typically I started dressing nicer when I left my house to go to school. Because I never went home, so I would I would dress for my gig, the moment I left my house to go to class, so I I was kind of 
always a bit elevated. And then when I got into retail, retail, especially in New York on Madison Avenue, and I always believed that you have to dress to your best dressed customer. And so at that time, 2002, 2003, everyone was in suits right. in Midtown. So a suit it was. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if the Manhattan it scene affected how, it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you, um, in 2003, well, 2002, a cigar brand called One Off launched. And it was owned by an Italian guy named Andrea Molinari out of Milan. And as soon as this cigar came out, which is now owned by Dion from Illusione, Oh, okay. The, the peace sign on it. Okay. When that cigar came out, I fell in love with it, and I I sold it like it was it was the hottest thing, and we had, we were so successful with it. The owner of the company asked me to fly to Milan to meet with the Italian retailers to explain what we were doing to sell one off successfully in New York, and I will tell you that trip that trip changed my life forever. Walking in Milan, seeing... Which is about, I think it's the fashion capital of the world, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But seeing grown men wearing suits, which I saw in New York every day, but the cut looked different, the colors were different, the the way they wore a suit was just different. Patterns, colors, combinations, it just, that was a total game changer. No socks, that's a big thing over there. I, all of it. Loafers. And so yep. I remember... I had no money, but I went and I bought three shirts and three ties. And even though I still had just a navy suit and a gray suit, I started wearing these color combinations and patterns and stuff that were just, it was a shocking. If, if you look at throwback pictures, you'll see what I mean. I mean, it's shocking in New York, but regular for in Milan. Yeah, but then I even like, I did take it to a to a different level. I mean, I really like stripes and paisleys and polka dots and yeah all of the uh, fashion no-nos right yeah, yeah i broke every rule <laughs> yeah. and i i didn't it wasn't so conscious at the time but what i realized was as i wanted to be noticed as a young guy 22 it was very difficult to be taken seriously and noticed in such a mature industry and so by Putting that costume on and allowing that to become my character, it got me noticed right away. So I was always in, you know, anytime there was a cigar event and there were pictures in the back of magazines, I was always in them because I was the guy with the red pants and a pinstripe jacket with three pocket squares hanging out of my shirt, out of my jacket. What I realized, though, as I got older, actually went about a year into Nat Sherman was people recognized me but didn't know me. And so they knew me as the guy with red pants. They knew me as the guy with the the crazy outfits, but they didn't know my name. They didn't know my story. And, and what started as uh, a desire to be noticed ultimately became a barrier to become known because it was almost so off-putting and wild. And so I really changed my style in the early Nat German years, 2011, 2012, prior to 2012, I didn't have a white shirt in my closet. Like, not one. Which is, like, typically the staple. Yeah. Right. Typically, not, it's the first shirt you buy. Not a single <laughs> white shirt. Um, and I, I don't think I had a solid suit either. It was all just crazy. And I reset everything so that 
fashion could still be noticeably important, but not so much that it became the place where you stop. Yeah. And now it's still very much a part of who I am, but I think by toning it down and being a bit more thoughtful, um, it gives me an opportunity to be known, not just stop at the red pants and pinstripe. Yeah, you wanted it to be, instead of it being, uh, what's the word? You, you didn't want it to overtake like who you are. You wanted people to... to no, I want you, you to for, remember that I right. that I was dressed well. I don't want you to remember what I was wearing. Right, you know, You're like I want yeah. you to know That's me for, for Michael Herklotz, not who, the guy with who the red dresses pants. well, not exactly. the guy with the red pants, who also That's happens it. to be Michael Herklotz. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's it. Ah, oh, the guy with the red pants. But but Italy like absolutely changed. No, Italy is yeah. I actually recently got back from Italy, and I we were in Milan for a short period of time, and. You're right. You just and it's not even just Milan. It's all over Italy. It's yep. the the fashion is is. You're right. The way that the suits are cut, the way that the the wardrobes are are cut and fit, is. People, you know, it's funny. People are like, "Aren't you uncomfortable?" I'm like, I'm not uncomfortable. Not. No. If I feel comfortable wearing this stuff, you know, like I I made the analogy one day, like tattoos are to Pete Johnson, what a blazer is to me. Yes. You know, like. It's just part. It's just part of. Yeah. Just part of me. That's it. Yeah, and it's it's actually interesting because when I was when I was younger, I used to, and I'm sure everybody can say this. I hated when I had to wear a button up and tuck my shirt in. Hated it. Absolutely hated the feeling of tucking in shirt. And now that's all I wear is tucking right. shirt. Right. And it's and you know when you wear it enough, it becomes a part of you. And it's like this is just what I'm used to wearing. This is what I like to wear. I like the way that you, I feel when I wear it. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay. And it's regardless of whatever your fa- your style might be. If that's what makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel like your best self, that's it. Then wear that. It's authentic. regardless of what it is. Yeah, it's a part of your identity. Right. Yeah. I, I, when I grew, when I was growing up, I I was like one of the, my out of all my friends. We'd go to Atlantic City, and they would all be in like in jeans and Echo Unlimited T-shirts, and I was like in a blazer and Echo pants. Unlimited. Yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing it out there you know, as a throwback. But uh, but they're like, what are you wearing? Like, why is that are like you those wearing? Janko jeans? Remember those? Yeah, of course, <laughs> Janko jeans. Yeah, everything was Echo Unlimited, South Pole, you know, all that good stuff. But uh, I remember wearing a jacket out of all my friends, and they're like, why are you wearing that? Like, none of us wear that. I'm like, yeah, I look, I feel good. Like, I want to be, I want to be the guy that, that looks. Who's that guy in the jacket? And you know, gambling on the blackjack table. <laughs> that young kid, you know, throwing his life savings on black. Yeah, you know, exactly. So it's a, uh, you know, your wardrobe is definitely uh, a part of who you are, and. How it makes you feel, and then you know now, of course, all after a few years, all my friends started wearing blazers and suits, and like, yeah, I like the way this feels. I'm like, well, welcome to the train. So I want to, you know, I, I do want to find out more about um, what is the next big thing, and where do you see Ferriotego going? Right? We had talked about you know, where you came from, how you got into, how you created Ferriotego, what the meaning behind the name is, right? But what do you see? it being five, ten years from now? What's the next big thing coming out? Well, you know, we're, we're, we are a story unlike any other story in the business. We're 21 months old, 21 months in market, but we have now 10 core blends. So hold on, yeah. pause for a second. You've only, you haven't even been in the market for two years. We, we and you have 10 blends already? Again, a story like none other because wow. of the work we did with Timeless and Metropolitan. Yeah. Those were brands that were established that we restored. Um, so, 
you know, I, I used the term identity crisis a lot when we got started because I had been in the business for 20 years. So people knew me. Um, some didn't know me, but knew the brands like Metropolitan and Timeless that have been around since 1994 with Metropolitan, 2011, 12 with Timeless. So those were brands that were known. And yet Ferry Otego was this just completely new thing. And so depending on where you kind of joined the industry, whether you're a consumer or a retailer or whatever, you have a different perception of what this Ferry Otego story is. Um, but now 21 months in, we're kind of over a lot of the catching up and now we just are who we are. Mm-hmm. That 21 month piece is kind of irrelevant. Um, the the Timeless and Metropolitan origin story is kind of irrelevant. Now we are Ferry Otego's Ferry Otego. These are the blends. This is what we're doing and let's rock and roll. Yeah. That said, in my mind though, we're still 21 months old and so there is a lot of work to still... You're still the baby. To still yeah. go do. Um, but... To add more levels of uniqueness, we're distributed by Davidoff USA, which is a dream come true. I think for any new brand to have mature distribution is a dream come true. To take it a step further and have it be Davidoff USA, the global leading, you know, uh, luxury brand. Anybody who is anybody in the cigar world knows who Davidoff is. That's where you want to be. And we're in the book. That's a pretty substantial um feather in the cap so we're in we've shipped since inception we're in over a thousand stores uh a thousand stores in 21 months is bonkers unheard of we're probably turning and burning in 500 like really succeeding in about 500 shops which is still an outrageous number for 21 months so to answer that's a long way to answer your question you know in five years i'd like some of that to catch up so the turning and burning in 500, but having shipped to 1,000, I'd like to turn and burn in those other 500, which means that there's a lot of work to go back to those shops, spend time with customers, spend time with retailers, and making sure that the story is really resonating because we did move pretty quick uh, in, in the first 21 months. Yeah. And so you know, I'm a big believer in, like we said earlier, you don't build a house without building a great foundation. The foundation is way more important than the house. And... I think we've established a great foundation, but I think there is still some foundational work to go back and do. Um, We're also generally only in the United States, which is the largest premium cigar market in the world, bar none. But there are some really important other markets. Uh, In fact, we'll have an announcement very soon about um, where where we are expanding to. So we've just opened up our first international market um, last week and a few more of those uh, are coming. But, you know, I don't, I just don't want to be over my skis. This is, this is a very long-term play. Um, and I'm lucky. I'm 43 years old with 24 years in. And so I still have way more road in front of me, good Lord willing, than I have behind me. Mm-hmm. And we're a, we are a small family business in the premium cigar industry, and that's what I intend to stay as. But every small family business wants to scale. You know, someone asked me the other day, who, who are some of your favorite boutique brands? And I was like, that's a great question. I'll tell you off the top of my head. La Flor Dominicana, Rocky Patel, Drew Estate, 
And they were like, those aren't boutique brands. And I'm like, well, they are to me because they were boutique when I met Rocky yeah. and John and Lito, when they would come to the store with their bag and do what yep. I'm doing. Everybody that, you know, any of these big names like Davidoff, Padron, Drew Estate, all these guys. Everyone was small once. Everybody yeah. was small at some point. Yeah. They, they created their first cigar and got into their first lounge at some point. I, I believe that there is a balance to be struck where you can still scale your business, but still preserve a boutique mentality. It's still still preserve that level of intimacy and connectedness that I think some large brands lose when they scale. So where I see myself five or 10 years from now is to be a larger company, to have significantly more brand awareness, um, to hopefully, like we said in this first segment, to be a brand that is worthy of bragging about and flexing with but to not be so big that it's just a brand, mm-hmm. that people still know the story, know the progress, um, feel our gratitude, and uh, and truly feel connected to the story. That's ultimately where I'd like to be. Do you, would you like to uh, keep it in the family? Do you have plans on having your kids raised in this? You know, like Lido, you know, uh, we had... Yeah. Barring that they don't become musicians. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had like Anthony Go- Anthony Gomez from LFD. Anthony Gomez? Yeah, Tony. Tony. Yeah, Tony. Tony. Yeah, yeah. Tony. Yep. You know, he obviously, his father brought him in. Do you have any plans to keep, show your kids the ropes? I think take no, it over? no different than what we were talking about earlier. I want my kids to do what my kids want to do. You know, I wasn't born into this business. I discovered it. I wanted to be a musician. My parents weren't working as artists, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom was a teach art teacher. My dad... A doctor, but they had artistic endeavor. But they encouraged my sister and I to go do what we want to do, be what we want to be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I would take that same approach with my kids. Should they find the love and affection for this? Maybe. I have a business partner, Brendan. He has two kids. Maybe they ultimately find interest in it. Who knows? But I think that's part of the part of the discovery. It's not part of my plan. It goes back to being an artist. There's, you know, when you're a songwriter, you're either writing the song for you. Or you're writing it for your audience. And to me, that's the difference between pop versus jazz. I mean, jazz is never going to be a hit. Right. Because it's too nuanced. It's like the blues, right? Blues is number one. When's the last time you had a blues hit, number one? Right. Yeah. I don't think ever. It's because the blues is more, they're, they're singing to soothe their soul. But you have to, I, I'm, a, I'm a songwriter. I'm a musician. I'm writing music to be better. And if you enjoy the work, great. But if you you know if if you don't like jazz, you're not gonna like the Michael Herklotz Quartet. You know, <laughs> yeah, twenty exactly. years ago, exactly. If if you if you like really powerful Lajero heavy, in your face strong cigars, you're not gonna like Ferio. You know, at least not now. Right. You might discover it later and appreciate the nuance and the subtlety and the complexity, but. I know what we are. I know what we're not, and we're just not that. It's like Fair. you know, it, it's it's the same thing as somebody that smokes. Let's say they love spice. They just love the spice. They they like the Nicaraguans. They like you know those those type of cigars because that's what they enjoy. Doesn't mean that the Hondurans, the Dominican Republics, the the uh, uh, Ecuadorians doesn't mean that those are bad cigars. It's just like you said, somebody that loves jazz is going to like jazz music and maybe not like metal. 
right? Somebody yeah, that loves lot, pop like food, is. You can have the greatest, the greatest steak dish in the world, the greatest Kobe prepared with the greatest ingredients. But if you don't like meat, right, you're not going to like it. You know, that's it. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. But you have to be, you have to be thoughtful for each palate. I mean, at the end of the day, we are delivering something to the masses, and you know there are some cigar brands that really stay in their lane, and their style, their spectrum is here. That's not Ferio. If you look at Ferio Tego, across the metropolitan spectrum, it's very old world, mellow, smooth, traditional. Across timeless, more craft. But if you look at timeless from Sterling to Panamericana. It's apples and bowling balls <laughs> from a from a flavor standpoint. And even within Ferriotego, Elegancia Generoso and Suma are radically different. So I'm I'm definitely creating a wider spectrum, but the the through line is the body, the balance, um, the elegance, the complexity. Yeah, it's it's I kind of think of it like a like you had said, with with cooking. If you're in a restaurant, right? Let's say you're in a Mexican restaurant. You're not going to have the same dish 15 times on the menu. You're going to have all these different dishes, but the theme is Mexican. These are all Mexican dishes, but we have different flavors within the Mexican realm to please different palates. It's the same thing with Ferriotego is this is our, you know, Ferriotego has this underlying body across all of the blends, but there's different flavors that might appeal yeah. to different people. So I, I, we yeah. actually have an, a couple newcomers, I see. That uh, that joins. So appreciate you guys popping in, joining us for the second uh, second session. Do we have any other uh, any questions from the audience from you know that we that weren't asked previously that might might have come up during our break? So we had a newcomer come in and was asking if Michael is a blender, uh, not just a you know brand owner. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's no um, there's no certi- there's no blending certificate, um, but all of the blends at this point. I either created and developed or worked to preserve and maintain over time. But the, the ultimately, with the exception of three metropolitan blends, these are all blends that, that I've developed since 2011. So maybe you can uh, talk to us a little bit about the blending process, you know, because I don't know how many people in here have actually went through the, the process of blending, rolling a cigar, of coming out, trial and error. I mean, we've done it because we have our own cigar, but maybe you can talk to us about what, you know, what does that process look like from the idea, like I, I, this is the type of cigar I want to make, to you finally have it boxed and in production. When I look back at the first blend development, that was specific to trying to solve for X. So, for example, the first blend I did was Timeless Prestige, which is what you're smoking. In the, in the case of Timeless Prestige, I was going for a specific flavor and experience that I wanted to achieve. And so that meant creating blends that I thought would get us to that place. But over time, no different than if you're a writer or a songwriter or a musician, you're also just constantly sketching, for lack of a better analogy. Yeah. And once we had a, a reasonable portfolio, um, the, the mission became less about trying to put X into market and instead preserving those experiences through the, through the blending process, which is actually a very different 
topic and remind me because that's actually something that's even more important to, to talk about. Um, but it went to instead sketching as much as possible and creating as many different types of experiences as possible but never really finishing the work. And then when there came time that something was really resonating as interesting, finishing that work and bringing it to market. So in the case of, of um, Suma, for example, that was a sketch that I kept working on and kept working on and kept working on. And once it was complete, and it kind of went like this in its, in its development, then we assigned it to Suma. Or I did a limited edition last year for a retailer that took, basically I went to the sketchbook, looked at a number of these different blends and took two or three of them to completion and then said, okay, this is the one that we'll apply to this project. Um, so I do less blending from scratch to product now and I do a lot more just constant blending and playing and then when something really hits say okay this is too good to leave in the sketchbook mm. what are we going to use this for and how right. are we going to bring it to market so i don't know if we talked about this but where so where are your cigars made if you can disclose yep. this and then where is the tobacco from is it multiple countries is it so again unique story for us we, are, we manufacture in all three major manufacturing countries of origin. So we manufacture in the Dominican Republic with the Casada family. We manufacture in Nicaragua with the Placencia family. And we manufacture in Honduras at the Camacho factory. So there are very few companies, even the big ones, that can claim that they make cigars in all three major countries of origin. We do. Um, and we have one manufacturing partner per country. So when we're developing a blend... We're obviously working in close partnership with them and their experts, tweaking, crafting, using their tobaccos in order to put something together. And then ultimately, it's their job to take that blend and then replicate it with each production. But I was hinting at this earlier. When you're creating a blend, that's a, that's a difficult process. Um, but infinitely more difficult is then preserving and maintaining that blend year after year after year. Yes. So let's say Timeless Prestige, for example, that blend was created in 2011, released in 2012. It was 2023. None of those tobaccos are the same that make up that blend. They, they're, all, they're all different tobaccos, but the experience of the blend must be the same. And so the analogy I use for that process is casting. If you imagine a Broadway show that has been on Broadway for decades. Use Phantom of the Opera, for example, is the one I use all the time. If, in the spirit of consistency, they never changed an actor, Phantom of the Opera would not be the same show today that it was in 1980-whatever when it was debuted on Broadway because the cast would be geriatric in wheelchairs and on oxygen, right? The show couldn't possibly be the same because... the the actors are changing. It's the role that they play that must be the same. And so that means that you always have to recast suitable actors to play that same role so the show is exactly the same. That's blending core cigars. So everything on that table out there, all the Metropolitan, all the Timeless, and the Suma, 
that is the example of constantly evaluating which tobacco is playing which role and should one particular tobacco in that blend begin to uh, exhaust supply, we have to do the work to find a suitable replacement that can play the role that that tobacco plays in that blend to keep it the same. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great. I mean, I, I discuss this a lot with with people that are asking about you know, the cigars, and I say, listen, it's it's you're dealing with crops, and crops have to you know they have to be grown, they have to be planted, they have to be harvested, right? You're not going to get the same climate every single year, year after year. You're not going to say, all right, well, I'm growing it for these you know six months, and I get the same amount of rain, I get the same amount of sunshine. It, it's impossible. So. The crops year after year aren't going to taste exactly the same. It's just like wine. You just know, like wine. If you like this particular 2017 uh, Malbec that you bought, when you go to the store and they don't have the 2017, they have the 2018, you might pour it in the glass, drink it, and say, yep, that's the one I like. But if you taste the 17 and the 18 next to each other, you might be able to pick up differences one to the other because 100% of what's in that bottle is representative of 100% of what was in the vineyard that year. With premium cigars, by and large, we take the opposite approach. We take a non-vintage approach, which means that the experience must be the same year after year, despite the fact that the crops are changing. And so you have to evaluate the year and understand the role that the weather and climate played, taste that tobacco, understand how its behavior is similar or different to the tobacco that you're replacing, and then solve for that. Might have to be a different year, different priming, different seed, different region to play the same role. Is it, there uh, is there anything in the cigar industry that you see kind of towards that you don't like that you wish could be changed a little bit? Like whether it's a process, whether it's a, a trend going on. Do you see anything that you necessarily not necessarily don't like but wish was different? Well, I think there are a few things. Number one, this is a product intended to be enjoyed by adults. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime anything is marketed or packaged in a way that could be attractive to youth is a problem. Mm-hmm. So, But if you look at the trends in other categories, everything is trending cartoonish. Yeah. You know? You oh, we had a whole beer, episode you, about this. Right. I was asking. So you can look at a lot of other adult products that are being marketed in a way that I believe has a youth appeal. And they are not getting the same level of potential criticism that we are. I just believe that we need to take a higher road and just stay as far away from it as possible. That's yeah. first. Yeah, that yeah. that's very interesting because we had a whole episode about this um, where there were cigars that were coming out that had cartoon characters. And we had said that, you know, one of the things that the FDA, this is before the, the recent uh, legislation came out that FDA now has to have certain laws for premium cigars as opposed to deeming them all together. Um, they had these cartoon characters. We were saying, you know, the, there's no reason why we should be, as an industry, utilizing these images on cigar labels and cigar boxes because it just gives the FDA and the governing bodies yeah. more ammunition to come after cigars when we're already under such a yeah. you know a tight uh, umbrella as it is. So it's like, why are we even giving them something else to go? We know that this is not marketed towards kids. We had talked about this, that kids aren't underneath bleachers in high school smoking cigars. So why are we going to give them something that they can instantly say, hey, 
You're marketing towards kids, yeah. even though it's you're trying it. to play to the nostalgic side of adults. It's not worth it. It's not worth the it. The other thing that, that I struggle with a little is um, the, the, the fine line balance of marketing and storytelling and lying. Okay. And I don't believe in lying. I believe in sharing as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. But at least make it truthful. And there is a lot of romance in our business, but a lot of that romance has now been trumped with absolute fabrication. You know, some of the stories on aging, some of the stories on, you know, sea varieties and other things that, that, and I'm jaded because I've been around too long, but that you just know can't be true. Yeah. And then you see those stories being repeated from a marketing standpoint, that just bothers me because I think we all do better if we tell the truth because then we're all learning the same thing and we're better consumers when we're learning the right way. It's a little false advertising. Yeah. yeah. It's not the. It's not exactly what it sounds like. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's always going to be a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. and that's fine. But you, know, you asked if there's yeah, yeah. a direction I don't love. I don't love that. And I agree. I mean, people... Uh, I guess when people start doing that, it's like, do you really believe in your product or your brand that you have to kind of start? And last, I don't, I don't love price for price. Meaning? Meaning you just make something expensive to have something expensive. Okay. Yeah, I don't like I'm, that too. I'm a big believer. We all spend money on stupid stuff that we don't need. And sometimes we spend more money on expensive stuff that we don't need. But we all want to get our money's worth. Even if it's expensive, you still want to feel like you got the upper hand of that deal. Yeah. Whether it's a house, a car, a suit, yeah. a watch, you want it to. You want everything back, plus a little. And we work really hard on our portfolio, even among our most expensive products today. That's twenty three dollars for Elegance and Generoso. But I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find another handmade premium cigar for two hundred and thirty dollars that performs at that level. Of sophistication and flavor, consistency, uh, and quality and construction, and level of packaging. I mean, these are made. We package Elegancia and Generoso in handmade humidors that we make in Nicaragua. I think we're punching so far over our weight. And if you look at Suma, even all the way down into Timeless and Metropolitan, you get you get your money's worth plus. And I'm a big believer. Whether I bring something more expensive or less expensive, it's always going to over-deliver in value. I think we're probably coming towards the end here. But before you know, we close out, are there any other questions uh, from the audience uh, before we wrap this up? Do I predict another cigar boom? Yes. 100%. There's, history says there always will be another one. And there'll be another one after that. There's also going to be another recession. There's also going to be more regulation. Lanceros are going to go away again. 70 ring gauges are going to be popular again. The cycle just keeps going and going and going. What I what I love about the booms, though, um, especially this most recent one that we had during COVID, most booms, set, there's, there's typically ebb and flow. Production goes up and quality goes down. And what I appreciated about this last boom was, for the most part, quality did not go down. Demand went up. Prices went up. Uh, consumers increased, but quality really stayed the same. And I think that speaks to the level of integrity 
that our industry's manufacturers have in, in their products now. Um, we did not see that in the late 1990s in that cigar boom. That was a, a massacre of, of cigars. I mean, just terrible stuff. Because the quality went down? Quality was terrible. Terrible. Uh, we didn't see that this time. But every time there's a boom, when it, when it normalizes, it always normalizes above where that boom began, which means that the, um, the, the trend enthusiasts go away, but that also means that a whole new generation of enthusiasts have joined this hobby and are taking it seriously. And the more disciplined, thoughtful, educated consumers and enthusiasts we have, the stronger our industry will be. And because we tend to evangelize this and share how much we love it, that's always going to result in another boom. It's kind of like a, you know, like a moving average. It just keeps moving up. Like yeah. You said there's yeah. a boom, and then it comes down, but it settles here, and then it goes up, and then it settles here, and which is yeah. good to see. It's, it's you know, obviously and better I, than I the opposite. The news, the FDA news will also create a new boom because I said earlier, you're going to see more creativity – in the next two years and more innovation in the next two years than we've seen in the last 10 because we've been handcuffed by by pending regulation. Now that there's a clear uh, playbook and we know what we can do and we know what we can't do, the level of innovation and excitement and participation and support I think is really going to... Um, uh, enhance consumerism for the next couple of years for sure fantastic 100% agree well Mr. Michael Horklotz we appreciate your hours of time at yeah, the it's, been, it's been two hours thank you for everyone who joined us in the crowd asking yeah appreciate questions. you guys coming thank, thank you. you very much and I'll tell you if you guys I, my, my only favor and we touched on it earlier if you enjoy a Ferriotego would you do me the solid of telling someone However you do that, take a picture and post it. Take a photo and send it to a friend. If you're having a barbecue in your backyard and, you're, and they know that you're a cigar guy, put a box of Metropolitans out there. When you do that, you are, in, you are endorsing our brand. You're giving per people permission to love it. And when people have permission to love it, they brag about it too. And when they brag about it, I got a business. There so we I go. would really, really appreciate there the we extra go. Step. That's a simple ask. Love it. Well, uh, listen, Michael, again, thank you so much for, for joining us here on The Burn Down. Thank you again, everybody, for yeah. uh, supporting us. Um, we, we truly do appreciate it. Um, and with that being said, we'll, we'll send it off with our signature uh, Like we cheers. always say, we have no drinks here, but I have it on a T-shirt now, so it's official. So I like to say, and we like to say cheers, chin-chin, salute. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. All right. Very Otego. Appreciate you guys.